In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, in the power of the Holy Spirit and through the intercession of the Blessed Virgin Mary, we raise our thoughts, minds, hearts, and our lives to you. We raise in a special way all those who are suffering, especially those who are suffering in Ukraine, all of the innocent people of Ukraine and Russia that are suffering through the horrors of war. We know that the battle between good and evil is fought over the dividing line in the human heart, and so we ask you to purify our hearts that we may be more like the Blessed Virgin Mary, docile to your Holy Spirit, completely abandoned to your holy will, and surrendered to your love. Blessed Mother Mary, we ask you to be with us tonight and to intercede for us, to guide us, to remind us constantly to do whatever Jesus tells us. <clears throat> Lord, we raise these prayers to you through Mary's intercession and in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I've been told I have 40, whoop, 40 minutes, so I'm going to set an alarm for 30 minutes, silent alarm. Um, so I have some sense of when to kind of land the plane. It is so good to be with you, and I am grateful for all of you who prayed for me while I was on medical leave. Uh, the prayers worked way beyond anything that you can imagine. Um, people are coming up to me, they tend to be a little bit like I'm fragile. They're like, Father, are you okay? And I look at them and I say, I've never been better. And it's entirely because of prayer. So I just personally thank you all for your prayer. Okay, so imagine this is a classroom. Of course, the classroom's not quite this big, but let's just say, you know, it comes in maybe 10 feet from that wall, 10 feet from this wall, and about 15 feet in. So you're in a classroom at St. Meinrad Seminary. At the head of the class is the best and brightest and meanest Benedictine monk teaching a theology class. And this Benedictine monk likes to fly up in the esoteric clouds of high theology. But over on the far side of the classroom, there's a bald 30-something seminarian who is thinking ahead to his days when he will be in parish ministry. And the very bright and very snarky and testy Benedictine monk does not like practical questions. He wants you to fly up in the clouds with him. And we were studying Galatians, the Paul's letter to the Galatians, and we got to Galatians chapter 1, verse 24. And here is that verse. Actually, I'll read a couple of the verses. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I complete what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. For the sake of his body, that is, the church, for of which I became a minister according to the divine office which was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now made manifest to its saints. Does anybody have a little bit of difficulty with that? that verse. 
I had difficulty with this question that immediately arose in my mind. Now I rejoice, Paul saying this to the Colossians, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I complete what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. So I was sitting on that side of the classroom and there was a crucifix. Crucifix, actually I'll reverse it because the crucifix would have been up on the wall like this, right near where I was seated. And I raised my hand, which is like going into the a war zone in that class. And he had just read that verse and I said, and I pointed to the crucifix, I said, what's lacking? And he said, lacking, it means something is missing. <laughs> I said, I'm not asking for the definition of lack. What was not sufficient there? What was lacking? What didn't Jesus do completely? What was lacking? And he blew off my question. Don't feel bad for me. I was 30-something. I was a big boy. But... Uh, but it was, it was very frustrating because he didn't, he didn't like that kind of question. And in my mind, I'm looking ahead to how do I explain this one day if I can't even understand it. And here I've got somebody who is very, very bright, who I would assume had wrestled with this question before, but apparently not, and he shut me down. So I graduated. That was probably a year before graduation. I went through all of seminary and even my first couple years of priesthood, not knowing what that meant. Which, by the way, shouldn't surprise you that a priest doesn't have all the answers. <laughs> and in a lot of cases, and I do see a priest over here, actually I think I see two priests over here, they could probably verify this, that a lot of the deeper knowledge that we gain as priests comes during the exercise of our ministry and the Lord reveals things to us. And he will reveal meanings and deeper meanings of what some of the more difficult parts of Scripture are about. How he wants us, if we are paying attention as priests, how he wants us to interact with the person or people that are in front of us. And it was actually a Hispanic woman. Um, a very cultured Hispanic woman at the first parish where I was a pastor, Blessed Sacrament, in Tolleson. And it was her, it was actually, I should say, through her, that God taught me what this verse means. So here I am, I'm a brand new pastor, um, alone at a parish, I didn't have an associate pastor. A lot of pressure. Two of my three masses on Sunday are in Spanish. Um, very exhausting after after three oh i'll give you a little snippet of suffering one time my parents were at the parish and it was around christmas um and when i get hungry i'm cranky so i guess i could teach at st Myra. um and so i had i if i didn't eat before 7 a.m I didn't eat until about 3 p.m. Because I had three masses, 8, 10, and 12. 
And the first one in Spanish. So start your day in Spanish. You try it. I mean, unless you're Hispanic. You know. And then a second Mass. And if, if, if the Mass went long, for example, if I preached too long, uh, I didn't have any time between the first and second Mass to run back to the rectory, which is about a quarter mile away, to get something to eat. If after the 10 o'clock Mass it went long or people were talking in the after Mass, I didn't have a chance between the 10 and the 12 to go get something to eat, and this was one of those days. And I was starting to get a little jittery. I mean, you, you try celebrating two Masses out of three in a language that's not your first language. It is exhausting. And so here I was, nothing to eat uh, since the night before, and it's 3 o'clock, and I'm hangry. <laughs> and my mom came to the Spanish master. She's walking back to the, um, the rectory with me. And I said, I'm starving. She said, oh, I put some cereal out for you. <laughs> the guys are laughing because they, they know that when you're that hungry, you need meat. <laughs> And so I said, I said, I can't eat sweets right now. I gotta have some protein. She said, Well, I put it out for you, and I yelled at her. I did go to confession. And I said, I've gotta have meat. I wasn't suffering well. And I made her suffer because I was really focused on my own needs there. Um, but as we go, as, as we grow in our faith, hopefully we're maturing in those areas. So here's what happened. I, I was, I had uh, this Hispanic woman came to meet with me. And she was pretty distraught. I could tell she was a little fragile. And we're sitting down there and this whole discussion was conducted in Spanish. And I'll, I'll say it in English, what happened. She said, Father, I've been suffering with chronic pain for 20 years. And she said, it gets so bad sometimes that I can't get out of bed because I'm paralyzed. And she said, I don't think I can keep going. And I, I just kind of looked at her. I wasn't saying a whole lot because I just wanted to listen. And she said, Father, do you understand what I'm saying when I say I don't think I can keep going? And I said, yeah, I do think I know what you're saying. That she was getting to her wit's end and wondering if she should take some action to end this. Well, at Blessed Sacrament, that parish has been there for 60-plus years. And a uh, beautiful parish, great community. But they never had one man, young man, in 60-plus years go to the seminary. And so I start doing some calculations in my head. And I'm looking at this woman who has a pain that I can't fathom. I can relate to her because we've all suffered. So I could say to her, I know what it is to suffer, but I can't imagine what you're going through. But I said, I have a favor to ask you. And she looked at me like, what? I'm coming to you for help. You're going to ask me a favor? I said, yes. And I said to her, this parish has been here. There's a vibrant community here. But for some reason, no young man in this parish has ever been inspired to go to the seminary. And I said, so I'm going to ask you a favor. I said, when do you suffer? Physically, emotionally, mentally, or spiritually. Every time you suffer, I'm going to ask you to offer it to God and put in a demand behind it. Because when we are asking God, and I, I got this from a saint, I'm not making this up. When we ask God for something that is accord, according to his will, 
we can add a little <clears throat> to it. In other words, we can demand it. Now, we always have to leave it in his hands how and when. His time, timing is always perfect. His ways are always better because his ways are higher than ours. And his thoughts are not our thoughts. But we can say, because this is important with his will. The harvest is plenty, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the master of the harvest to send out laborers to the harvest. It's in line with scripture. So I said, I want you to offer your sufferings and with it, put in a demand. Every time you suffer, if you're frustrated because you're in pain, you got two things to offer there. And so I said this to her, and she looked at me, her lower lip started to quiver. Her face got flushed, and she puts her hands, both hands over her mouth, like this. And she starts to weep, but she's keeping her eyes on me, and I'm thinking, dear God, what did I do? Did I offend her? Did I, did I do something wrong? I didn't know. I didn't know what was going on with her. And she was crying hard. And it was that kind of crying I <laughs> where you can't talk. So I just waited it out. And I just sat there thinking, I'm glad I'm not an associate pastor because I'd probably get reported to my pastor for whatever. And that can happen to me now at St. Bernadette's. Different story. But here, here she is. And she finally, finally, calms down enough where she can compose herself. And she pulls her hands away and says, Gracias. Thank you. And in that moment, I knew what it meant. And I said to her, and I pulled out this verse in Spanish, but I said, I want to read something to you from St. Paul. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I complete what is... Oh, I did it again. I'm going to throw this thing away. It's my... I complete what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. In that moment, it all came together, and it was coming at me in real time. When you and I are baptized, we become part of Jesus. He's the head. We're the members. We are not the complete Jesus in ourselves. But we are part of him. Think of our, ourselves as kind of like we're cells in the body. And because of that, Jesus is suffering on the cross. And when I was sitting with her, I pointed to the crucifix on my wall, kind of ironic. I did the same thing in St. Mindland when I didn't know the answer. But now God revealed it to me through this woman. I said, that is timeless. That suffering of Jesus is timeless because he is eternal. So the efficacy, the effectiveness of his sacrifice on the cross extends back before he was human and walked the earth at the time that he offered the sacrifice and it extends even to today and will continue until the end of time. So his sacrifice is still present and we know that especially in the Eucharist because the Eucharist is the re-presentation of the sacrifice on Calvary. Not symbolizing in terms of representing but making present again, bringing it right here 
sort of like pulling it out of eternity and rooting it right in reality with us, right here. And at Mass, we are at the foot of the cross of Jesus. And I said to her, because that is timeless, because Jesus' sacrifice is timeless, and because you are part of his body, your suffering is part of his, and you must do with it what he did. He offered it to his Father for the salvation of those he loves. And you can do the same and offer your sufferings and for the salvation of others. The salvation of others comes in part through priests, through the administration of the sacraments. And I assure you, it is Jesus who works in the priest. If you look at these two priests over here, when they are celebrating and administering the sacraments, they are Jesus. They're just in a different appearance. But it is Jesus who baptizes, Jesus who consecrates the Eucharist, Jesus who forgives sins, Jesus who offers himself for the salvation of the world. And I told her, you can demand of God that he answer your prayer because you're asking him something. You're not asking something exclusively for yourself. You're asking something that he told us through his son Jesus to ask for. Fast forward to about, oh, I don't know, maybe four, three or four years ago. I think it was my first time back at Blessed Sacrament. I might have been there one time before that. And I went back because... Uh, a deacon who had been there for decades and who was a very, very good collaborator with me, priest and deacon at that parish. He died. And so I went back and concelebrated his funeral. And I saw that lady. And I went like this after Mass. I said, come up here. And she came up and I said, do you remember the conversation we had in my office? And she said, yes. I said, did you do it? She said, yes. I said, I know you did, because I want you to meet Miguel, who is from this parish and is in the seminary. And those two met that day. He was one of the older boys. He was this big when I met him. Now he's about this big and this big. I don't mess with him now. <laughs> if I tell him to bring the... Um, the thurible over, I say, please. <laughs> but it was just it was just beautiful. And she got very emotional. He was he's you know, he was a tough guy, so he wasn't gonna let his emotions out too much. But but she was very emotional, and I just and, and that's a confirmation. You know, it's a leap of faith for me to say that as well. I mean I believe God is faithful, but sometimes I don't know if it's gonna play out in the way that I would hope or that I expect anymore than you can know how God is going to behave. But seeing that, what a great, great blessing to know that she ran with this mission and did not waste her suffering, but she used it, and God responded. I don't know if there have been other seminarians. I, we could look at the, uh, the seminarian roster, which is up over 40 seminarians now. When I was in the seminary, the most I think we ever had was 22 at any given time. So understand that, and, and this, is, this is 
common sense, but it's, as you know, they say with common sense, it's not so common. We have something that we can supercharge our prayers with, and that's our suffering. And we are going to suffer, whether we offer it or not. So why waste it? Why would we ever waste our suffering? Now, I have plagiarized something that another priest does. And in fact, I think it's in a book called I Believe in Love. I don't know if you've ever seen this book, but every chapter of this book is uh, a talk that this priest who wrote the book, it was a talk that he gave at a retreat, a week-long retreat. I think there's 10 chapters, which means he gave 10 talks at that retreat. And in one of those, he's talking about suffering. And he says that when he goes to the hospital and he's dealing with somebody, maybe they have cancer or you know, maybe they've had an amputation or they have, here's a great suffering. You're in great pain and the doctors can't figure out what it is. So now you've not only got physical anguish, you've got mental anguish and the stress and anxiety that comes from that. And he said he goes to those people. And at first he hears what they're going through. And then he says, I've come to collect from you. And I'm sure some of their eyebrows go up like that Hispanic woman's eyebrows went up in that meeting I had with her at Blessed Sacrament. And he says, I'm here to collect from you. I need your suffering. Because there's a lot of people who need what you have to offer. And he says to them, you're crucified to your bed. Just like Jesus was crucified on the cross. You're closer to him now in your suffering than without it. And this becomes very important for us for Lent. How many of you have given something up for Lent? Raise your hand high. I want to see it. For those of you who didn't, I want to see you after me. <laughs> no, but most of, most of the time, we, we give something up for Lent. Okay, and that, that's admirable, provided we're doing it for the right reason, as a means to a good end, to glorify God and to free ourselves from the shackles of things that hold us down and hold us back from growing in holiness. So, for example, if we fast, let's say we fast from one meal a day, there's a lot of money that can be saved from that, that money could go to people who don't have food. So they're all connected. If the fasting comes as the fruit of our prayer, because Lord, you have given so much to me and your son gave up so much for me, I do this to be in solidarity with him and with those around the world who are suffering. So if there is a, a pure motivation for our sacrifices, they are good. If we're fasting from chocolate because we want to look better in a bathing suit, huh, a little examination of conscience might be good. I mean, it's a nice byproduct, but if that's the reason, mm, come and listen to some homilies at St. Bernadette. We'll get you straightened out. But here's a different way to consider Lenten sacrifices and suffering. How about giving more of our attention, our dedication, our sacrifice to the sufferings we don't choose and that we don't want to deal with? And I'm not just talking about physical suffering. I'm talking about difficult marriage. I'm talking about a personality of your own where you always have to be right. Or where you feel that you're you don't have any connection with people, and you feel alone and isolated. 
the things you don't choose, accepting and offering those with as much patience as you can muster on your own and much more that you could muster by asking God for the grace to do it. Suffering doesn't have to be catastrophic to be effective and redemptive. And sometimes it's the little things, the little irritations, the little frustrations, the, the small, seemingly small things in life. If you have kids, learning to perhaps correct them with more love and less anger. That doesn't mean not disciplining children, but certainly checking your motivations, counting to 10 before responding. Or how about this? Some, somebody's going to get mad at me. I'll take the suffering. How about turning off the news for a week? No, really. No, I'm not kidding when I say this. I'm not saying this to be funny. Okay, when I was at Blessed Sacrament in Tolleson, when I was at the cathedral, there was a certain kind of poverty among a good portion of the population of those parishes. I'm at St. Bernadette's in Scottsdale. It is not a, an economically poor parish, but there's poverty there, too. It's a different kind. And when we have a lot of comforts, I don't mean we all have to be rich for this, but when we have a lot of comforts, I have comforts in my life. Um, when we have a lot of comforts, um, we can shield ourselves from suffering. When I was in the coffee business um, in Seattle, one of my clients was a company called Vulcan International. You know, I think this is, is this the Vulcan thing? I'm not yes. a Star Trek guy, but it was Paul Allen, the co-founder of Microsoft. It was his corporation whose entire existence was to manage his fortune. A whole company to manage his fortune, huge staff. And the person that I dealt with, that was in the coffee business, so I was dealing with, I think, his buyer, office manager, whatever. And I was trying to get them to incorporate Starbucks coffee into their break rooms. And, uh, and she told me that part of her job was to fly all over the world to whatever house in whatever country that Paul Allen owned in that country to get there about three or four days in advance to get it exactly how he liked it. All the right foods, the towels in the right place, whatever. And I thought, no wonder, no wonder that Jesus said it's harder for a rich person to get into the kingdom of heaven than for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle. Because if you can buy away a lot of the suffering that the rest of us mere mortals have to suffer, who needs God? That that can become a real temptation that you don't have to face. You don't have to face inflation. You don't care. Yeah, maybe you're worth $10 billion less because of inflation or the stock price or whatever, but you still have 50 billion. Okay. But people who have a lot of economic means, perhaps they're used to control. But we live in a life and a world as human beings that there are things that we can't control. Like difficulties and corruption in the church. Like confusing theology and teachings in the church. Corruption in government. 
division in our country, division at the dinner table, because this half of the family is this political party, this half of the family is this political party. And war, natural disasters, all of this kind of stuff. The, the poverty that I often see with people who have maybe a little bit more comfort economically is distress, anxiety, anger, frustration, fear, and the addiction to news. So if you like the news, don't come to me to confession. <laughs> because you may get a penance that you cannot watch the news, read the news, listen to the news, ask your friends about the news for a week, and in place of that, you pray a daily rosary. The only thing I can think that is worse for some people, I can feel it, I can feel the discomfort, is asking a young person to stay off social media for a week. But I'll tell you, some of them are braver than the adults who are addicted to news. Here's a question for you. When you think of the suffering that you have because of the trauma and everything that's going on in the church and in society, and I'm not talking about prayer, what direct effect, direct effect and influence do any of you have on the pope or cardinals or bishops? What direct effect do you have on Putin? What direct effect do you have on Joe Biden? None. None. Okay. So what are you getting out of your obsession with staring at the TV and yelling at it sometimes? <laughs> what good is coming from it? That kind of suffering, self-inflicted, useless, angst-causing suffering, is not redemptive. It sucks grace out of the world. Wow, I heard that. It sucks grace out of the world. Far better to turn off CNN or Fox or whatever your favorite news is and do something real, like grab your rosary and go for a walk and say, Jesus, I trust in you. And hear Mary say, do whatever he tells you. And I'm pretty sure it's not going to be binge another hour in front of the TV or the internet. Throughout history, when there has been terrible human-caused suffering, like Lepanto, did the Pope say to the people of Rome, read the news? No, he said, pray the rosary. And victory was achieved. An impossible victory was achieved. I think it was St. John of the Cross who said, we have to be so detached from the things of this life, including our view of how the church should be. We can suffer and hurt when the church is not what we know it is supposed to be. 
But we have to be detached enough from that to trust God enough to say, I trust you, I do not understand you, I'm suffering because of this. But I will trust you. If not with my emotions, with an act of the will, I will take up the rosary and I will fight in your army with you as my leader and Jesus as my general. Perhaps the most fruitful thing that we can do for the remainder of this Lent is think not of the things of this world, but to think of the things above, as St. Paul said, the things of heaven, where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, that we can actually be Catholics first, even before being American. To be Catholic first, as the second reading for this evening's Vigil Mass and tomorrow's Mass says, our citizenship is in heaven. It's about time we start living like we believe that. And put our faith in Jesus through Mary and do something real about the suffering that we can have an effect on by surrendering to Jesus through Mary. Amen? Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Our Lady of the Rosary, St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. Most sacred heart of Jesus, have mercy on us. Immaculate heart of Mary, pray for us. St. Paul, pray for us. Thank you.